Mercer, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman! Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. Hi, welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlife's podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. And I'm Rob. (laughs) And I'm on cocaine. (laughs) Jesus. Just the glee that you bring to that, (laughs) considering we're still recovering from Comic-Con. Yeah. To the point where we've had nights. uh, We came back Monday night. Mm -hmm. And let's start with this. We, We said in our... In last week's episode, oh yeah, we're going to do a wrap up maybe on Wednesday, and it, just to show how beaten down by <laughs> Comic Con you get, we said that we packed up all the audio equipment, and on Monday morning we brought it all downstairs to be shipped, so we didn't have to bring it on the airplane. Yep, ground shipped, which means we had no audio equipment to record a podcast unless we wanted to scream into my laptop. The the spirit was willing on Wednesday. Uh, the postal service was not compliant. <laughs> yeah, so so we just didn't have anything to do it. So we'll talk a little bit about it. Plus, the first two days back, if you listen to any of the shows from Comic Con, the the cat sitter situation. First of all, Crisis on Infinite Middle Lives mod uh, ma- mascot Parker the kitten is fine. Yes, uh, the cat sitting situation has been uh, resolved. Corrected. <laughs> Harshly, Mr. Torrance. Measures were taken. <laughs> it's a, a, yeah, the, the company was contacted and uh, was provided with uh, certain evidence that our patched together home-built home security surveillance system put together as to showing that uh, certain people who said they would be here would not be here. And yeah. uh, It's not quite Jarvis, but it gets the job done. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start. Well, I can't call it Jarvis because Jarvis sounds classy. Mitch. <laughs> Phil. Steve, <laughs> can we come up with an acronym for Steve? Security. Ray Bob. Ray, <laughs> Joe Bob. <laughs> Joe Bob. Uh, Raylan. No. <laughs> Raylan don't just watch. <laughs> Cat Center don't show up. Raylan take care of it. It's true. But Steve Dave. Uh, d- no, no, don't bring those guys into this. <laughs> We're not at that level yet. Joe so, Bob. So. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, that situation involved, you know, they had to call the place and they were horrified that somebody didn't show up. And then the reply was, oh, they said they showed up. So, yeah, it was an hour and a half of drafting a written response with here are the photographs and here are the date stamps and here's how the technology works. And so bottom line, Parker is fine. Uh, this particular person will not be reentering the home office. No. The uh, the keys uh, the locks have been changed, just in case. What, what if we name it Bert? Bert's a good name. Again, with the security system. <laughs> I mean, there are these squat little cameras with red eyes. It kind of looks like... More like know, an Ernie. Bert uh, off on a toot. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. But, I don't know. Oscar. Some listener wants to provide an acronym for a really redneck half-wit... <laughs> All I do is watch kind of name. Oh, God. Yeah, we'll we'll name the security system <laughs> that. So yeah, uh, no wrap up at the time, and it, yeah, it's been a it's been a long week of, you know, you get the reverse jet lag coming back. So the first night we were home, uh, number one, the cat wanted nothing but attention, and we were up till what three in the morning at least, yeah, and then kind of earlier on. 
Tuesday, and then Wednesday was another two thirty in the morning. Yeah, I at, at this point I still find myself not entirely all together. I took a nap for about an hour and a half today. My neck has been screwed up for about a week, apropos of nothing. Well, you also picked up a low-grade dose of the Consars. Yeah. yeah. Or Conbola, with <laughs> everything going on in the world. It could be. It could also just be that um, whatever crud is in the air out here, since I'd been away from it for a week, it was enough for my immune system to be like, oh, yeah, let's just not work at all when you come back after having months of low-grade exposure to it. <laughs> yeah. I just wrote down Combola. There's our first Combola, <laughs> first possible title for today's show. But yeah, I mean, I got lucky. I only ever got the Con Consars once. Yeah, and I had it full blast before I even got on the plane. So not only are you dealing with just the horrible fatigue of trying to after a week of Comic Con function and get on the plane, but uh, God, it, everybody else's ears were popping. I felt like my eyeballs were going to blow out of my head. Yeah. I was going to go full scanner somewhere <laughs> over, over flyover. Yeah, I, I've really got whatever this is. It's either you know a mild allergy to whatever pollen or crud is hanging in the New England air now that we're back, or it's it's mild conbola or whatever this is. It's it's everything drains down the back of my throat. I wake up in the morning. And and hork crap out of my lungs like I'm my dad in 1985. No, I'm sorry about that. Next time I'll give you a courtesy tap. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was there. Or at it was least a, wake me up. Yeah. It was a slow... <laughs> the police are going to be alerted now. I should never have gone down this road. It was terrible and it was wrong. It felt like a slow pitch and I shouldn't have swung. Anyway, you're you're feeling poorly. Yeah, my, my joints are achy. <laughs> Teeth are a little gritty. <laughs> <laughs> That's got nothing to do with the convention. Maybe it's been with... The booze we've been drinking yeah. to stay up till three in the morning, and, then, and I'm tired, just like all the time. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, it it just it really takes it out of you. Yeah, in in ways you you can't describe in, unless you've you've gone there. And, and the problem is, this time around we just have to describe it because I've been talking with like you know, my folks and you know our friends, you know, our our guests, Trebuchet and Pixie Sticks. We saw today to go see Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that movie in a few minutes. But every one of them said, you know, we knew you were there. We looked for news to see, you know, see if we could see you on the TV. Yeah, and, you know, this year, you know, G4 is no longer a thing that exists in the world as a television station. Or um, Spike didn't do any kind of coverage. I feel like they did something one year after G4 went down. Yeah, and if they did something, I'm not aware of it. And that's certainly not a station that my parents or... You know, trebuchet and pixie sticks would necessarily watch, and it wasn't classy enough for Esquire Network to pick up because you know there were no Ninja Warriors or people brewing beer. Uh, yes, because <laughs> Esquire likes to <laughs> likes to broadcast to the established gentleman who swills homebrewed beer, and then and dude bros who like to get women drunk and bring them home. There's a whole series. <laughs> yeah, that's why that's why I only watch that stupid fucking knife fight show that you like. <laughs> Where I, I want to go there and throw in a fucking hand grenade. <laughs> Can't stand that show. Okay, do it after they finish cooking because the food looks good. Well, <laughs> whatever. I'll just <laughs> keep drinking beer and reading comics while you're doing that. But yeah, G4 was was the go-to. Yeah. They only ever did one big day of coverage, like the four or five hours. And uh, the, the problem is we were never on it because we know that the television section of the floor is a zoo. Yeah. And we just it's not whatever's going on there is not worth it. No, I mean for the the two seconds of fame you might get for 
I, I guess it's kind of like everybody else's Hall H or Ballroom 20 experience. I would imagine there are folks that get there at the crack of, of nine or lineup so they can get in at nine so that they could cluster around when G4 existed so that they could be potentially on camera in a camera shot. Well, yeah, particularly the, the cosplayers. And, yeah. and I don't blame them. If I had to, it, it's hard enough being at Comic Con. If I had to start my day with a shower and then a cod piece. Yeah, I'd want a little national fucking attention for that effort. The best part of waking up is... No. (laughs) Scrotum in that cup? Scrotes in your cup. (laughs) I'm not writing that one down. That is is not a title for this show. No, it's not. This is a family fucking show, you... (laughs) Nutsack in your cup. (laughs) (laughs) This show will never air. We've been canceled. But, but yeah, they said there was absolutely nothing except in the, you know, At Midnight did stuff on it. Yeah. The Will Wheaton Project did. and Yeah, it's, and that's just it. I guess I'm, generationally, I'm I'm on that, that cusp where it's like I'm aware that there was a, a still a sizable social media presence. So I suppose if I was the sort of person who was getting the majority of my cultural info from Twitter and the web as opposed to television, perhaps I would have noticed less that there was less of a mainstream media presence with it this year. Yeah, that's true, because our our Twitter feed was nothing but SDCC stuff. Yeah. And you watch TV news when you're in San Diego, and it's nothing but yeah and it's Comic-Con all like on stuff look the freaks are back and then they you know they they run the whatever footage they have yeah of us uh, but <laughs> <laughs> that was an inside joke which we are going to let lie <laughs> however um no we weren't dressed up the we weren't dressed at all <laughs> that's why we were on the news <laughs> Shh. Um, look at my junk san diego <laughs> Nutsack in your cup. No, don't make that the hook. Please don't make that the hook. This is our first show as part of the Comics Podcast Network, and it'll be our last if we stick with that. Our last show is called Fatigue Hysteria. I think it still lingers. (laughs) It it definitely lingers. Um, But where I was going with that was it it was still, you know, on all of the major, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS affiliates. As you know, here's what's happening with the convention today, and various interviews with local uh, folks and folks who'd come in for the convention. Um, Low-grade celebrities and celebrities from TV shows that happen to be on the network yeah. that was doing the live broadcast, and um, you know, still a, a sizable amount of uh, related articles around. Ooh, will the convention be leaving San Diego? You know, the, the speculative kinds of things. Been hearing that shit for ten years, and. Eventually, San Diego is going to come up with a bigger convention center. Yeah. Or it's going to shrink. Right. Um, But, you know, you step outside of California and, yeah, Pixie Sticks pointed out that there was a brief nod to it on Good Morning America that she saw, but otherwise, nothing. (laughs) I I believe she heard on Good Morning America, and I'm trying to quote, that Daniel Radcliffe was on the floor at the San Diego Comic Book Convention. Superhero Superhero convention, convention, yeah. And that was the the long and short of it. And it's weird because for years, I'd come back and call my mom and let her know that I was alive and not to bother me for two days because I was not (laughs) articulate. And she'd say, oh, yeah, we saw it on the news and we saw it here and there just wasn't that much news about it. 
And there wasn't that much news that I can think of that came out of it, which is a little weird this year. Yeah, it feels like there was nothing spectacular. Like in some years, there's a movie piece of news that comes out of it where everybody's like, ooh, and they lose their minds over it. Um, this year, not really. I, there was some some Avengers stuff um, that might otherwise have been saved for the Disney convention. Yeah, well, there was uh, Gal Gadot in her first picture as Wonder Woman. Yep. Which, as a piece of news to come out, I thought it was fine. If if I need to hear one more, Zena called and yeah, it she was... wants her pants back. It, <laughs> Wonder Woman was there before Zena. It looks perfectly fine. It, I understand why people are are in somewhat of an uproar. It's weird. It, it looks pretty conventional and classic to me. It it looks fine. But I think at this point, everybody that for whatever reason feels passionate about Wonder Woman, it's so polarized. They're the ones that are just like, it looks fine. It looks like her costume. It but it fits the color palette of the movie, whether or not you agree with that because everybody there's that whole, oh, but why does it have to be grim gritty? I, I don't know because it sells right now. So <laughs> it, Yeah, that, that's a decision that was made. It made enough money with Man of Steel to get us to this point yeah. where we might get a Justice League movie. Okay, I'll t- I'm fine with it. And then there are the folks that never bought into her casting to begin with that are still looking for reasons to be pissed off. So it, it is what it is. <laughs> I would be outraged if I knew who the fuck she was before she was cast as Wonder Woman. Uh, she... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure she's had a storied career in things I just haven't seen, but perhaps that's the <laughs> point. I've not seen anything, so I didn't have an opinion. She, she looks fine. I've not heard anything bad, so okay. As human females go, she is one. Exactly. <laughs> are, are we sure? <laughs> are we really sure? I don't, she could be CGI. She could be it's possible. <laughs> like that horrific robot on that Old Spice commercial, <laughs> <laughs> stumbling around, just falling over in a one suit. <laughs> But so yeah, there was that. Um, I mean, there were a couple of trailers that seemed to be the big thing that came out of Hall H. There was the Mad Max Fury Road trailer. Um, uh, what else? There was the Jupiter Ascending trailer from the Wachowskis. Mm-hmm. But it, it seemed like most of those immediately went to YouTube. Yep, rendering the hell that people went through to get into Hall H for the Saturday panels completely fucking yeah. moot. Um, I mean, there was the. The giant panel that was, here are all the new pilots that are dropping in the fall, two-thirds of which have already leaked onto the internet. Yeah, it was like three hours, I think, on Friday. Yeah. And yeah, it was uh, Flash, Constantine, and Gotham. And I would love to have seen the Gotham one, but I wanted to sit through the other two, which, if you've listened to a few shows back, we uh, we were able to view. Yeah, so, you know... W- it would have nice. It would have been nice to have seen Gotham. We did hear positive things about Gotham. <laughs> I've heard nothing bad about it. I've heard it's a really yeah. good police procedural that just happens to have these Batman elements yeah. in it, which is, I think, all I would want out of a Gotham pilot. Yeah. But when it comes to big announcements, it just didn't really feel like there was a hell of a lot. Yeah, because a lot of the properties that were there were, you know, returning sequels or prequels or. So there was already a fair amount of hype in previous years. So it's like, oh, you know, Hobbit's back. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> or, oh, uh, Game of Thrones is back. You know, like, yeah. Oh, the Walking Dead panel. There's there's going to be zombies? What the fuck? Jeez. Uh, <laughs> I had no idea. Something bad's going to happen at Terminus? Are you <laughs> shitting me? <laughs> but, and 
so yeah, I mean, it's weird that all went, that went on, especially considering, particularly on Sunday when we were walking over to the the dynamite tenth uh, anniversary panel, which is oh, the one, yeah. which is the one piece of I don't know big ish news. I thought it was a foregone conclusion ahead of time, but that one had Quentin Tarantino and Matt Wagner because they were talking up the uh, Django Zorro. Uh, that was a fun panel. Yeah, um, that we talked about a few episodes back, but uh, yeah, Tarantino confirmed. That he's absolutely going to film the Hateful Eight, yeah. Which a few months ago he said he wasn't, but I, you know, heard as of a couple of weeks ago that, that I forget which potential cast member, but said, "Oh yeah, I think it's going to happen." So, so that was the big announcement that we heard. Yeah, it was hard to tell because when you listen to Tarantino talk, this point this is three panels we've seen him on over the ten years we've been going almost. Mm-hmm. Everyone he sounds like, yeah, he's about a line and a half in. <laughs> I've crushed up all my Adderall. <laughs> Oh no, he's Hollywood. He don't need that at all. <laughs> you don't need that prescription shit. True, but and even that, that was a sad panel because immediately as soon as they said questions, and that is the problem uh. with any. <laughs> a lot of times panels are hard enough because any panel you go to at Comic Con, the general gist of nine out of ten questions that you get are, "Hi, I'm a big fan. You are awesome. How did you become so awesome?" Can you tell me how you plan to continue to be awesome for the future? Because I am ready to support you being awesome. Yes, I aspire to be awesome, and I would like to know how you became awesome. Beefcake. <laughs> no, not even that imaginative, most of them. Um, but once you get a, a, a legit mainstream celebrity in, you know, this was the Dynamite Comics 10th anniversary panel. Yeah. You know, Matt Wagner is... He's an A-list comics creator. Yes. Not a single question was directed to anybody except Tarantino. All the Tarantino freaks immediately swarmed the microphone. Yeah. Which meant there was no chance for me to get up there and ask, Mr. Wagner, where the fuck is Mage 3? (laughs) I read Mage when I was 17, Mage 2 when I was about uh, 27, I'm 43 now, and I drink (laughs) a lot. I'm going to be dead soon. (laughs) I'd like to finish this thing up before I finish up. (laughs) There was just no chance to do it. So, yeah, just constantly movie-making questions, you know. And most of the questions had very little to do with um, the Django Zorro property. It was all, tell me about Kill Bill. Tell me about... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I suppose that was the other one. Kill Bill, the whole bloody affair, supposedly will be coming out in some form or another, maybe next year. But I've been hearing that shit for eight years. Yeah. So uh, that'll believe when I see it as i'll believe with most things from tarantino pretended to be intrigued by the idea of doing the vega brothers as a comic book (laughs) it's never gonna fucking happen no he'll do this one and realize oh there's no money in comic books yeah wait i can't do it exactly my way or it didn't sell the way that i wanted to all right bored now yeah (laughs) so so yeah it was a, a bunch of people asking tarantino questions so it's kind of fun to see the celebrities there but realistically it really kind of fucking ruins everything yeah so yeah just horrible sycophantic and then but here i'm gonna take a step back we were able easily to get into the wagner tarantino panel and i think that speaks a little bit to we'd sort of been kicking around it feels like i mean there are a couple of days that were sort of apocalyptic in terms of the amount of people that were coming into the city and trying to get into the convention yeah sunday it felt um i don't want to say markedly less but 
I would say that there would have been other years where it would have been harder to get into something that even hinted that Tarantino would be at. Oh, definitely. Because, um, yeah, it's the times we have seen him, the first one was the Grindhouse panel, and that was 2006, yeah. where it was just supposed to be Rodriguez. But, yeah, the room was packed for that. Um, the next one was just a DC Comics panel where he happened to show up. It was the Before Watchmen panel. Yeah. Where he just wandered in and said, by the way, I'm going to do Django. a Django comic <laughs> uh, adaptation for DC um, that we just happened to be at. But yeah, this one we could walk in. And not only that, as we were going from the hotel, this is right after we recorded Sunday's show, there was no Hall H line. They were saying, no line whatsoever. Go, come right in for the strain. Yeah. Which we like. Yeah. <laughs> and we were literally tempted to... It, it was a weird cognitive dissonance from being at so many comic cons the idea of well okay let's go to the little room and if we can't get into the the dynamite comics one we'll go to the big tv strain one in all yeah because yeah, at the time we're like oh it's tarantino i suppose it's possible we won't be able to get in and <laughs> yeah and it was no problem at all yeah so yeah it was weird uh, sunday sunday was a pain in the ass because of children's day yeah um and it's it's certainly it's a good idea to have a children's day. It's a good idea. Kids should like comics. It should open it up and make it easy for kids to go around. But, you know, for people who've been there since Tuesday, Tuesday <laughs> and have done the whole thing, it's you know, I can't trip over another kid who's about ready to just sit down, you know, in his diaper because he can't walk anymore. Well, the, the, the crush of families who come in with infant children and strollers and... Decide that you know they're gonna put the baby in a baby, what are they, a baby Bjorn, baby Bungie, whatever the hell it is, hang it from their neck, and then use their stroller as a de facto shopping cart to mow people out of the way. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> you've, you've got to have some kind of stroller, otherwise they crawl and they'll be stepped on. But yeah, it's just it, it's irritating to get around. But even so, the crowd seems so much less. Yeah, we were really able to, and we talked about it last Sunday. Hit the floor. Here are the things that we want, and do a little bit of wandering around. We found some some really cool stuff, which Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not possible. You hit the floor with a purpose, yeah, or you know, you just go under, and <laughs> you're there for like twenty minutes, and it's I, I can't do it anymore. We got to find something else to do. Oh no, the Comic Con Riptide! Ah! Yeah, except <laughs> the the Riptide is everywhere in all directions. And yeah. <laughs> You cannot swim parallel to that No, riptide. no, you cannot. Yeah, you, you simply must hide in your fucking hotel. It's Hasbro. It's taking me down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, I mean, certain parts seemed smaller, and we talked in previous shows about how downtown wasn't completely taken over. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I if this means it's sort of scaling back, you know, that... It, Hollywood has hit its peak, and if they're going to scale back, then maybe the crowds will scale back, and this goes back to just what it was 10 years ago, which is just the biggest, best comic pop culture convention in the world where there's a ton of cool panels like the stuff that we went to, which all wound up being comics history stuff, yeah. except for one or two exceptions. You know, The Batman in the 70s, the Who Created Batman, the Spotlight on Jim Steranko. Yeah, I felt like this year, um, you know, it, it continued to be... You, you could pick and choose and make it the convention that was personalized to your particular areas of interest. And this year, for us, it was, you know, creators and historical things, which was nice. I, I think, you know, even with all of that madness, 
there's still if you're there for a particular reason you can revel in the sort of positivity and joy of that thing with like-minded people yeah um <laughs> there it, it does amaze me how many smaller you know fractalized isn't the right word but maybe a little bit it's it's still a big convention but your little piece is still a piece of the whole and they can get smaller and smaller and still be the same thing yeah we we had a great time with these historical panels you know we really didn't hit a lot of the the bigger one one or two yeah but like you know as as we were sitting in the uh the stranko panel there there was a, a young woman sitting in front of us who was clearly there on a mission she'd been to a bunch of other panels and she just wanted to hear from other comics professionals and she was taking notes in her notebook and and doing like sketches alongside it to reinforce points for herself she was there to legitimately learn like one might as a professional at a convention yeah. and network and, and that was cool to see because i think sometimes when you're there just as a layperson you're you're going ah oh, spectacle there there are folks that are there to network and actually do things for their job <laughs> well yeah and <clears throat> we it is so easy to get lost in the spectacle you know yeah these little you know we did very specific stuff not only in the things that we saw but in the stuff that we got yeah you know, said a million times the biggest haul that I took from it was imported 2000 AD trades and comics. Yeah. With just stuff that you can't get here, but it's plentiful there and it's cool to get. And, you know, you found an artist that you'd never seen before that just did a cool thing. Yeah, it's, it's a great watercolor of Constantine and I'm looking forward to getting it framed sometime this week. But yeah, you, you can find things that appeal to you particularly, that appeal to your loved ones particularly. Brought back a great print for a friend um, of Gambit that <laughs> oh, yeah. just he, colored exquisitely. Yeah, it, he loved it. It was not expensive. It was just somebody we came across in Artist Alley. It was cool. And yeah, it's a, this buddy of mine is a fan of Gambit. You know, it's a, Jesus Christ, this is the first thing I'm going to get framed in my new place. And it was not by any big name, but he was psyched. Yeah. You know, for for Trebuchet, uh, yeah, I picked him up a Stan Sakai sketchbook. They're not expensive, but he was there doing sketches and signing, so it's a cool thing you can't just get anyplace. So, yeah, you can certainly spend all your goddamn time seeing the spectacle. And certainly, yeah, Hall H was Friday and particularly Saturday, the the apocalypse that everybody says it was. Yeah, to the point where, and I'm not going to say anything specific because I know nothing about it, but there have been blogs that have popped up saying there was a secret line to cut oh. in front of everybody on Friday afternoon. For Hall H? Yeah. Complete to, with t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, to to sit there all night. You know, I would no more spend all night in line to Hall H. They could be chucking out free hand jobs. <laughs> You know, Frank Miller doing sketches in the style that you demand. You give him a time frame and he draws <laughs> the way he did then. You know, not just these giant Sharpie marks. <laughs> that was the one big piece of news that we got out of Comic-Con. I got, oh, a, yeah. got a text from our uh, our guest from last Saturday show, Anna Beta, <laughs> saying, I'm, <laughs> I'm in Hall H for the Sin City panel and Miller is tanked. <laughs> Which, I don't know, if you believe any of the rumors, that was news <laughs> at any given time. But Miller being Miller. <laughs> yeah, again, if you believe the rumors, I don't know, Frank. You don't return my calls, and he certainly don't draw like he did in 1986 <laughs> when I ask him to. Which is so often. <laughs> oh, yeah. Believe me, I, I throw stuff at his windows. 
And he cringes. Get off my lawn. <laughs> you damn kids. <laughs> yeah, I try to be pleasant. And I yell at Akbar and the lights go off. <laughs> it's the Occupy people again. Run yeah. for cover. Jesus. Get to the panic room. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, this it felt like a transition year. And the, the, the huge stuff was still huge. Yes. But there didn't seem to be quite as much of it. Yes. <clears throat> so, I don't know. Again, if this just goes back to just being the biggest comic convention in the world with some cool TV movie stuff, then I'm cool with that. Yeah. It's what it was when we started. If it means I can walk around every day but Saturday and uh, yeah, not feel like my knees are about to go because <laughs> it's you know, step ball change, stumble, <laughs> jazz hands, extend finger, <laughs> throw elbow. Mostly throw elbow. Mostly throw elbow. Up why up why up why? Yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah, and as much as we talk about that, we we get home from the thing and we're exhausted, and I've needed the full week to recover from it. But still, this is where it's a uh, you know I I kind of want more. And historically, every year, this is where we're like, uh, maybe we can go to Baltimore. <laughs> but the problem is, day jobs clearly get in the way. Yeah. Um. However, <laughs> uh, next weekend we get that first decompression. It's Boston Comic Con which we will be attending for the, the second year in a row, and we attended it a few years before that. Yeah, and last year, last year, um, partially because of the outpouring of support after uh, the bombings, but also just because I think it's it's grown in general, um, it was pretty huge. Like, to the point, we didn't expect, we were figuring, oh, we'll just go in and, you know, we'll be able to case the floor, go in and see a couple panels. Yeah, there was a, a couple of moments where there was a crush of people that was, reminiscent <laughs> yeah it is the floor is not nearly as big right um there's the percentage of just standard comics retailers versus publishers um versus artist alley it's nowhere near what comic-con is right uh, i think idw had a booth last year because yep. joe hill was signing boom might have had one nope boom had one uh but yeah, certainly no big DC or Marvel presence on the floor. The floor itself is not as big. There's a big section off in the back, which is sort of the autograph area, where if you want to meet, I don't even know, because we never do that. I don't know who it is. Uh, I think, uh, uh, what's his name? Jack, Captain Jack Harkness. Oh, Barrowman. John yeah, Barrowman. John Barrowman, uh, Eve Miles. There's a few people there who will be signing autographs for a few bucks. Yeah, and uh, last year it was... Uh... What's his face that did the voice of Fry on uh, Oh, Futurama. Billy West. Yeah, he was there. Um, I mean, and yeah, Marvel and DC didn't have specific presence on the floor as as publishers, but their individual contributors had tables and signing time. So, like Dan DiDio had a table, and Scott Snyder had a table. Um, oh yeah, <clears throat> George Perez. My God, his table. The line went around the goddamn block. Yeah, and and reportedly he was pleasant and pleased to see every single person yeah, who came up sketched and <laughs> smiled and yeah it's a we didn't want to brave that line as cool as it would be to get a get that, a perez sketch but. that'll probably be the line for amanda connor and jimmy palmiotti this year based on what we saw at uh san diego <laughs> uh, yeah there was always a mob around their table and yeah. it, we'll, we'll try to get to it this year um but i mean it, so yeah i mean it definitely has gotten bigger because we went in i think 2009 yep and it was still in the basement of just a, a hotel in downtown Boston. Yeah. And it was, yeah, some, it was all local artists, uh, local comic creators. And uh, and mostly local um, comic uh, retailers. Yeah. 
there were one or two names. You were starting to get the sense that it might pick up. Yeah, like David um, Mack came to that particular one. Yeah. Um, Jeff Darrow was there. Tim Sale. Yeah. Um, and then after that. <laughs> yeah, after that, uh, everybody else. But it, at least it was a few names. Right. And, and the thing was small and intimate enough. You know, when I could get to one of these guys, I, I went to uh, Darrow. It's the other cool thing about Boston, whether it was large or small, since you don't have to haul shit across the country, you could just bring some books in and ask for yeah. a sketch or a sign because, yeah, it's a backpack in the trunk of the car or you know, on the on the subway. So, yeah, I went to Jeff Darrow, and he was talking with somebody else that was just standing there with my you know, copy of Hard Boiled 2. Yep. And he was making a point about art, and he just went and he grabbed my book and opened it up and was sketching and was like uh, telling this guy, see, and this is how I do it. And so I got this sketch where he wasn't <laughs> even paying attention to me. Then he signed it and he said... Yeah, yep, here you go. This is for you. And so I made a point. I'm like, thanks for coming to Boston. This is not San Diego, man. <laughs> but then last year, yeah, I was at the uh, Seaport World Trade Center, which is one of the bigger places in Boston. We don't have anything like the San Diego, unless no. you talk like Boston Garden. Yeah. Um, we don't have anything like the San Diego Convention Center, but this is one of the bigger ones. And yeah, it was a fucking mob. Right. Yeah, the line to get in went around the building. That's part of why we we're really we're definitely going Friday. We're yep. probably going Saturday. Sunday's a crapshoot because the other thing about it, this is the first year Boston Comic Con is three days. Right. Um, Sunday is going to really depend on what panels they may or may not be showing, and you know how much if there's anything new left to be seen on the floor by day three. Yeah, because it is a much smaller floor with less spectacle. Yeah. You really can do a couple laps and get a sense of, okay, these are things I want, and then another lap of getting your stuff. Yeah. And then you're just about done with the floor. <laughs> yeah. Then it comes to the programming, and the programming schedule is much, much smaller compared to San Diego. But considering in 2009 they had none. Right. You know, just looking at it now, you know, on Friday. Now, Friday, they're just doing the afternoon. I think it opens at 2 o'clock. But, yeah, you got Greg Capullo and Scott Snyder doing a Batman panel. Uh, Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti. Um, and various smaller ones, because they do have two or three rooms. There's a, a Star Wars panel. Um, not anything in, in particular. I don't recognize any of the names. It may just be Star Wars fans. Uh, a cosplay panel. That Saturday, Image Comics panel. Um, That'll be all right. Yeah. Uh for some reason, a Q&A with DMC from Run DMC. Oh, hey, Nashville Superman, uh, 11 a.m. on Saturday. Country songs about the Man of Steel. You know what? That sounds on the face of it like it should be kitschy. I could see that. I could see going to that. It... <laughs> well, we know where all the bars are around the area. Yeah. <laughs> we could take the tea. No, that, that, that actually sounds kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, all right. We'll, we'll check that out, but... Um, yeah, I mean, a DC panel on Saturday, Torchwood reunion, John Barrowman and Eve Miles. Yeah, and that's, that'll be, you know, that'll be the hard one to get into. Because everybody and their brother who's a fanboy for that will want to be at that. Yeah, but, you know, reasons to try and go back Sunday if we can. There's just a flat-out Q&A with Scott Snyder. Yep. Um, uh, Marvel panel with Carlos Pacheco, uh, Mark Wade, Scotty Young, Mark Brooks. Um, yeah, and then yeah, Q&A with John Barrowman. It looks like they're taking advantage of more rooms, so I'm hoping for these amphitheater shows, they're not going to continue to engage in their policy of room clearing. Oh, that was a nightmare last which year. Which really put a damper on any enthusiasm I had for the panels. Yeah, I mean, one thing that uh, San Diego does is they don't clear the rooms, which is 
partially how you get situations like you get with Hall H where the line stacks up and people go in because they want to see the Marvel panel at five, but they go in for the first panel of the day and say, this is what I'm doing. (laughs) You got water coolers. You got a turlet. I'm here because I'm not going to miss Marvel. Yep. Whereas with Boston, we weren't prepared for that. So we would go in for the panel ahead of time for the one we wanted and be cleared out. Yeah. And you sort of try to take the... I'm just gonna sit here and not make eye contact. No, they're and going. they would they would legit play chicken with you. Like they were just like, no, I, I can wait. We won't start the panel until you guys leave, so that we can bring everybody else in. It's like, okay. So, I don't yeah. want to be that jerk. <laughs> yeah. So I'm hoping they find a better solution to that this year because there is some decent programming there, and it's it's a good decompression convention. Yeah. Because it's you know okay, I want more San Diego. Well, here's some more stuff, and it's close by. And they've got, you know, a, a pretty decent floor and some pretty decent panels. And at the end of the day, you're sleeping in your own goddamn bed. And, and the cost to get there, as opposed to a transatlantic flight and a three hundred dollar a night hotel room, is you know a, a buck eighty to take the subway. Right. And yeah, I, I didn't come back with any art from San Diego this year, so I'm getting me a Simon Bisley Judge Dread. I swear before God. That's all right. We we will get you in line and. We'll have time. <laughs> yeah, so if you're tired of hearing about comic book conventions, I'm awful sorry. Next next <laughs> week's show will at least be halfway about Boston Comic Con. And then after that, it'll be about preparing for next year's San Diego yeah. Comic Con. Or we'll really get the bug. and uh, Doomsday Prepper San Diego Comic Con Convention Edition. <laughs> yeah, or, or I'll freak out and get a plane to Baltimore and we'll do this over Skype. I woke up and and Rob was in Baltimore. I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in the game. <laughs> don't start none. I haven't seen all the wire. I don't know all the. He left me a note. I I just really wanted some crabs comics. <laughs> <laughs> if I went to a strange hotel and said I want crabs, she would beat me to with an inch of my life. Doubt that'll be happening, but. All right, so enough about conventions. The other big thing this week, Guardians of the Galaxy movie finally came out, which is a departure for everything that Marvel has done because it's not a property that anybody knows. When they announced it a couple years ago, we may have been the few people legitimately excited. Certainly there are Guardians of the Galaxy fans, but we were talking about this with, uh, we saw it today with with Trebuchet and Pixie Pixie Sticks. Sticks. Um, And she was asking... You know, all right, I liked it enough. Um, what books should I get? And I said, just start with the Bendis, um, with the Bendis series, because you know, she was asking about the history of this team, and it's about as deep as a urine sample. <laughs> you know, it's, it started in like the early '70s at some point with a particular lineup, and the perfect time to really ramp up the team would have been right after Star Wars. But Marvel had Star Wars, so yeah. there was no need for them to do it. So it wasn't until uh, six or seven years ago, the uh, Annihilation—I want—I forget if it's Annihilation or Annihilation War—but um, yeah, the big storyline that brought Richard Ryder back and yep. Nova um, front and center for at least a little while. And that was Dan Abnett. Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's the first time it was this lineup. So it's really only got a six or seven year history, which uh, few people cared about. That was certainly a pretty big storyline. We were psyched because we like James Gunn. Yes. Yeah. You know, We've been fans of James Gunn since Slither, 
which we caught on DVD. I don't even remember how we heard about it. I think a buddy of ours brought it over possibly as a um, DVD and said, have you seen this? Why haven't you seen this? Oh, yeah. And, and probably the buddy we got the gambit art for because yeah. <laughs> he's always got his ear to the ground for this kind yeah. of weird stuff. And, yeah, we loved it. And because of that, we uh, went and picked up Super. Um, so we really liked him as as a filmmaker. So, I mean, we were definitely psyched for that. But it, and it was weird after that. We'd probably being among the few people, it's like, yeah, it's going to be a James Gunn movie. Then when that whole fucking mess happened a couple of years ago, where right after he was announced, somebody went trolling on his blog and found that he'd done a big post about which superheroines he wanted to chuck the meat to. I never read it. I remember the outcry around it. Sometimes people write things that they think are funny. Uh, I am guilty of that. <laughs> What's well, I did find it. Yeah. Uh, and, and I did read it. And it was funny-ish. I didn't have any kind of problem with it because... These are conversations that have happened in every... And yes, yeah. it's a dude-centric conversation, but it's happened in every comic store. It's happened in every schoolyard, playground. You know, if you're above the... <laughs> if, if you're at the age where you know personally what boner means and you're a dude, you have these conversations. Is it childish? Yes, it is. They're funny books. <laughs> There's a certain amount of childish built right into the damn things, you know? If you take it too far and you're stalking around cosplayers because you have these you know, these kind of fixations, then yes, you have a problem. But yeah, it's childish and dumb. But the other thing is, we certainly haven't seen all of his oeuvre, but James Gunn started in Troma, for fuck's yeah. sake. He wrote Tromeo and Juliet. <laughs> There's a certain amount of... Yeah, dark childish there to begin with. There's there's a lot of things that you can choose to get outraged about, or you can not, and then take things with a grain of salt. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Well, with the nature of the world, he pulled it. He apologized, and considering this is for a much more general audience than look, Slither was a little indie horror movie. Yeah, Super was a little indie pitch black. Yeah superhero examination not even a superhero movie. vigilante yeah. examination really yeah it was not a movie for everybody neither yeah. of them so if he's going for a wider audience yes it makes total sense to pull the things when he was still just a niche dude that some of us liked right um it makes total sense to pull it i would do the same thing if yeah if, if i had the chance of a lifetime yeah so i mean yeah we were psyched for it on that basis and as the stuff has come out, it, it just really looked pretty good. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I I really, I, I enjoyed this movie very much. I'd put it probably in my top three Marvel movies. Wow, really? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think Avengers is better. Um, Winter Soldier is better um, only because of the source material. It's a completely different movie tonally. Yeah, I, I would agree that with that. I. I don't know exactly how I would rank all of the Marvel movies at this point, but what I did take away from this was I had a good damn time. I I didn't have to think very hard about anything. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was a fucking hoot. Yeah, and I just, I, I genuinely was surprised by various things. Like, I, Bradley Cooper is a very talented actor. He made Rocket seem believable. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I will do an aside on this. Yeah, I thought he was really good as Rocket, but with the violence of that character, um, 
I found myself thinking, you know who might be better at this? Christian Slater. <laughs> a full-on, half-Jack Nicholson, angry, <laughs> heavily armed rodent. <laughs> Give Cooper another couple of years. He'll get there. <laughs> it's possible. Now, Cooper was great. Um, and one of the things that totally worked, it, yeah, was Rocket and Groot. Yeah. You know, for two animated characters, granted it's been 15 years since Jar Jar, but that sort of... Yeah, yeah we were joking um, while we were getting ready for the movie. It's like, you know, just think, you know, people had difficulty with the concept of who framed Roger Rabbit, the idea that people could interact with animated characters and that it would be believable. Um, and then, you know, I, I made the comment... Um, that you know, Cool World could have really screwed this up for everybody, <laughs> and it tried. It really tried. Write down Cool World could have screwed this up for everybody. That's potentially a title, but um, but you know, now we've got you know David Bautista scratching a CGI raccoon on the head to comfort him. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> yeah, but this is going to be loaded with spoilers. Yeah, and I don't think we've really spoiled anything up until this point. But yeah, and it's... the. And the CGI characters legitimately emote. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's uh, one of the scenes I really liked that really did a lot for Rocket's character was uh, when they're you know, all drinking and killing time waiting for you know, their connection to buy the orb to show up. And, and Rocket just loses his shit and has this really emotional moment where he's, you know, I didn't ask for this to happen to me. You know, Gamora called me a rodent. Drax called me vermin, and we'll see how you feel when I light you up with four or five rounds of this thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was that and uh, this, a couple of scenes before that where they they just show him. They, they, all, they all get, like, hosed down with orange goo and deloused after they're taken to prison after something goes sideways. I call that Friday night. <laughs> and and uh, Chris Pratt uh, comes in, and he's all, you know, bedraggled um because he's lost his walkman so it's the worst day ever um but wouldn't it be wouldn't it really be yeah i, <laughs> I don't know if I'm, if I'm him i guess it is um and and then rocket comes in right after that looking the proverbial wet rat um yeah. <laughs> drowned rat and 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 he's just you know there's a the way they animated that character there was just an exhaustion in his movements as they they closely panned and you could see where they went in there to do whatever genetic modifications and whatnot and this is this is the character who has lived a hard life that he didn't want to talk about <laughs> yeah and uh yeah, that and Groot for a tree oh my god with with one line <laughs> I am Groot <laughs> one line by Vin fucking Diesel yeah of all people yeah, you know, every time Groot opened his mouth, I am Groot for your consideration. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it was, it was killer in the interplay, both physically in the animation and the few times he did speak between him and Rocket. They, they were really, in a lot of ways, the core of the team. Because yeah. they were the only two who knew each other to start with and had a relationship. They were the heart. Yeah, and, and they were just so clearly the core of it. And how you get emotion out of a tree, they're... I called it the puny god scene <laughs> where Groot takes out 15 people and it's just he's bashing them into walls and just <laughs> destroying them. And he just turns around and looks at Drax with this big, wet, guileless grin. Huh? Hey. Yeah, yeah, like like a child who's 
you just whomped on some. <laughs> they poked a dead fish with a stick. <laughs> you see what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and this is getting, I think, a little off track. One of the things I noticed about Groot um, that also made him more more of the heart and moral center of the team for me is, in addition to the relationship with Rocket, I noticed over the course of the movie, he was certainly willing to defend all of his friends. The only time Groot ever killed anyone was when it was something, they had those like uh, necro core things, which sounds like something out of like a Riddick movie, but... Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Appropriate. Yeah, the the, the um, Cree zealot Ronan the Accuser all of his uh, soldiers were some sort of weird undead necro things. And those were the only um, characters that Groot actually killed. And I, I bunny, air bunny quotes. <laughs> well, necro implies maybe they're already dead. Right. They certainly were faceless drones like in a video game so that you can still get your non-mature rating and mow down hundreds of them. Yeah, but like earlier in the movie where they were watching these like lizard races at some seedy bar which is sort of the equivalent of like a interstellar cockfight or something he was visibly dismayed when the lizards started going after each other like he was having fun and then he realized what was happening and he had this look like huh i don't know if i agree with this and yeah. <laughs> and please write down interstellar cockfight that's a possibility for a title <laughs> um and he just he seemed to embody the whole concept of of life there's he has three words I am Groot. He says them only in that order until the very end of the movie, and he then explains to Rocket, we are Groot. (laughs) I still maintain that should have been we am Groot. The two words was just a bridge too far for me. Okay. (laughs) I don't disagree, but David Bautista also learned vaguely the concept of metaphor by the end of the movie. So (laughs) if I'm willing to go there... (laughs) Yeah, look, I'm not a wrestling fan. I don't know. I know Dave Bautista uh, was a wrestler. I don't know his... Uh, wrestling nom de plume. Um, the Beast. Okay. I don't know. I, I think I read that somewhere. Yeah, all right. <laughs> but he was, he was the right actor for this character. And I don't know whether they then rewrote it for him based on his acting skills or if he was just the right fit for it, but his monotone, emotionless, almost just line reading constantly. <laughs> um <laughs> To have the writing of Drax be, yes, I don't know what metaphor is, and I don't know how to speak like normal people do, <laughs> made it just work. Yeah. And, yeah, his, the great moment where he's using this line-reading style and misunderstanding of metaphor <laughs> to explain how he's now friends with everyone. And he calls Gamora and this whore, this terrible whore. And and there was a certain amount of internet outcry around that. Oh, they called her a whore. She was ready to throw it down and stand up for herself. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a, sometimes yeah. people use words incorrectly. She was able to step up and push back. <laughs> but uh, the, the point of that scene was he's just saying these terrible things, and then Ronan comes out. And <laughs> no, it was Nebula. It was Nebula. Oh, yeah, comes Nebula out. comes out and just says one. I don't even remember what she said. I called a Gamora a traitor or something like that. Oh, yeah. He shoots her with a fucking rocket launcher. It's like, <laughs> no one speaks to my friends in this way. He just called her a whore. He just doesn't know. Yeah. So it was, he, it was well written for his acting skills. We're not yeah. going to see him at Shakespeare in the Park unless they're giving away free hot dogs or steroids. And but Quite yeah. frankly, um, his action scenes, the way that they were shot, it was beautiful. It... Say what you want about his acting. The man can move. 
<laughs> oh yeah. And it, it was he was like a, a less articulate Bane. It was just <laughs> <laughs> he had a moment where he he did like the knee drop where he broke somebody's back. It was just. <laughs> Yeah, no. Action-wise, he was great. Yeah. His acting was perfect for how this character was written. Yeah. So I had no problem with him. I am not sure that Zoe Saldana as Gamora really had a lot to do. Um, Well, she was partially plot device in terms of bringing uh, Ronan and... Um, I want to call him Star Lord because I'm <laughs> um, Peter, Quill Peter Quill into orbit with one another. Um, yeah, but it's that's one problem. I it, it was not a perfect movie, and I did have some problems with it. And one of them is we're not given any reason whatsoever as to why Gamora would turn traitor on Thanos and Ronan. Beyond, it feels like the right thing to do when she was. We're told that she was tortured and made into a weapon, but it's just sort of a right from the beginning. This is the thing I'm going to do. Yeah, I mean, you, you can speculate, but you know, it's Thanos. He's the mad titan, the mad god. Um, yep. He likes to court chaos because chaos leads to death. If he already knows that his daughter, adopted or otherwise, is displeased and could go out on her own and screw things up by going rogue, well, that leads to chaos. Yeah, <laughs> but so. yeah, I mean, it, it really. I'm just, I'm thinking. That's why I'm looking off into space. There's nothing on the wall. Uh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it just, it felt like, yeah, there was a certain amount of contrived stuff for her to do. The fighting she, it's, yeah, a lot of it felt like plot. It, she needed to want to turn traitor to move this forward, so she was, and she yeah. knew somebody to sell it to. So that's how it went. And we're still not entirely sure who, because uh, th- there are other interested parties other than um, Ronan that want it. There's a, a character called um, the Broker who was also in the market for it. We don't know who he was going to sell it to. Uh, <laughs> he was going to sell it to the collector. Was he? Okay. So yeah. so the collector had, had it coming and going. Somebody was going to get it to him. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I can't wait to get the Blu-ray on this because I want to go frame by frame on the collector's yeah. base to see what he had in all of those cases. Yes, Benicio del Toro um, played the collector, and he knew what he was getting, served as a certain amount of exposition to set some things up that would be important later in the movie in using the Infinity Gem, which was at the heart of the orb, um, which is this thing that everybody was after in the course of this movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as you go through his museum, there are all these different exhibits. And some of the things were immediate and apparent right off. Like Cosmo the space dog. Yep. <laughs> um, and later on, although everybody's probably seen it. Um... Let's not spoil the post. <laughs> if we're going to spoil everything, let's not spoil the post-credits okay. sequence. The, the post-credits sequence, I doubt very seriously, points to anything in the future of Marvel movies. Yeah. But it's it's fun. It's it's the shawarma scene of of this movie. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it would be really great to go through and go frame by frame. Oh, here's this. Here's this. Here's this. Yeah, because one thing it, the movie did a really good job about is it, it gave a certain amount of Marvel fan service, particularly in that scene with you know with Thanos involved. You know, eventually we had to get 
at some point along the line, we're getting the Infinity Gauntlet. We just yep. are. That That's was how something it is. that was showcased at uh, Comic Con in publicity pl- pictures after the fact. <laughs> Josh yeah. Brolin was shown wearing the glove. Yeah. So we knew it was going to happen. There was enough Marvel fan service to keep the geeks happy, um, but certainly not so much. And Marvel Studios has been pretty good about this all along. Not so much that somebody's going to say, a. Uh, I don't know what what is that and why should I care? Right. If you need to know, they explain it. Yep. Um, even if it's a plot device, as you know, this particular Infinity Gem was. Right. Um. So yeah, I mean that it, that scene worked. I'm trying to think what else didn't work in this. Um, a lot of the friendships when they started just seemed to come across a little neatly. Yeah. Well, no, not not necessarily. I mean. You've got Rocket and Groot who already have an ex- established relationship. Right. Um, but then you've got Rocket who's already kind of at odds with everybody else because he feels and is picked on. Yeah, he um, definitely was. <laughs> um, Drax is only along for the ride very specifically because he wants a shot at Ronin. Right. Um, Zoe Saldana, uh, Gamora calls everybody imbeciles. I'm going to die with imbeciles, <laughs> surrounded by imbeciles. Um, and then when they get to nowhere and they're in the the bar scene where it seems like they're finally beginning to bond, all it takes is a, a couple of, of shots of whatever that intergalactic whiskey is to turn everybody against each other and at each other's throats with tension that was clearly just sort of like being lightly tamped down for the purposes of moving forward. <laughs> Yeah, but that, and if it, if I know my booze, uh, it was probably Rebel Yell bourbon. Um, it was blue. Uh, I think they put antifreeze in it. <laughs> well, that would explain most of my bar fights, but 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 then it just sort of tied up. Like I really had to stop and think when they went to uh, Kiln, the prison. Yeah. When Groot immediately starts defending Quill, I really had to stop and think: Why the fuck would he do that? Because he wanted to, con- he, his whole purpose there was you throw me in prison. I'm going to break out again. This is my what twenty second prison or something. Or, yeah. Well, that was Rocket. Yeah, but this is my. This is what I'm saying. Quill is going to play all the angles it takes to keep him safe. He's going to. He he's established as being a con man who will do whatever it takes to save his skin and get what he needs, not thinking more than a move or two ahead at any given time. So. It's in his interest to stay with Rocket. If it's in Rocket's interest to break them out, he'll worry about getting away from Rocket later. Yeah, but Rocket and Groot took the initiative to defend Quill. Yes, because Quill is worth 40,000 units. And it took me a minute to remember that's why. Yeah. So, yeah, it felt like various contrivances to keep them together, and then suddenly at the end, yep, we're a team and we're friends. And maybe it's as simple as, you know, a, a... pressure situation like that if people even remotely stand up for each other yep you become friends yeah and... i mean that's that's also why it's like you know why should you give a gosh darn if if gamora is about to get icked you know is it is it going in white knighting or is it you know she she knows a buyer who can get you more because that's not really revealed until later yeah but <laughs> even with that uh I was willing to accept that just based on the early character beat where, as a kid, he got into a fight because somebody killed a frog for no reason. She was green. All right, so... (laughs) 
you learned it here on the Crisis on Infinite <laughs> Midlife show. Peter Quill is a frog fucker. <laughs> Jesus. That cannot frog be a lover. Frog lover. Boner. Moving on. <laughs> he he sexually identifies as frog. Is there a term for that? Peter Quill, frog lover. Don't put frog fucker or oh, frog lover. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this show's gonna be canceled immediately. <laughs> um. The one other thing I had a problem with, Thanos still has no characterization at all besides bad guy. Yeah. He's... As far as the movie-going audience is concerned, he was a face at the end of Avengers, and now he's the dude behind I Want the Infinity Gem. Yep. You know, comic fans know that he's trying to build the Infinity Gauntlet because the plan is to wipe out half of the universe's population so he can impress death. Comic fans know that he has a fetish for death. Much the way Peter Quill wants to chuck it to a frog, I guess. Um, and they do hint at the other gems, but they don't really talk about how they would work in concert in this gauntlet. And Regardless of the other gems, they in no way talk about any motivation Thanos has. At this right. point, Thanos has been behind the invasion of Earth in Avengers, and this activity to get the Infinity Gem in Guardians of the Galaxy, and that's all we know is that he did these things. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I know eventually we're going to get to it, and Marvel certainly has a long game. I read they've got shit planned in one way or another through 2028. Good Lord. Yeah, by then, maybe I'll have finished Mage 3, Matt Wagner. But, <laughs> but it just... Even Darth Vader had more motivation than just bad guy in the first Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, but... That's that is the the challenge of the long game is how much do you reveal and when? Yeah, and it's one of those things. I suppose you don't need to know. Yeah, it's it certainly didn't make this movie any less enjoyable. It was me thinking later. It's like you know now I've seen Thanos twice. Now he's got a voice at least, but there, there's been no indication as to what's motivating him at all. Yeah, I don't know whether that would make things any better or not, but. Because well, the key is, at some point along the line, they got to tie him back into the main Marvel universe. They have to because they fainted with it in Avengers. Well, I, isn't he going to have a little bit more of a role in Age of Ultron? I have no idea. We didn't get into Hall H, yeah. and we haven't been able to really talk to Anne to see what they might have done right. in the, uh, the Marvel Studios panel. Um, but yeah, I mean... I suppose that's a question. How do you tie Guardians of the Galaxy back into the Phase 1 Marvel stuff? Well, I, I think you know, there were some hints. Um, you know, Ronan the Accuser is Kree, so the, the Kree and Nova Corps were brought into this. Um, and then if you're looking at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the television property as extended canon in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, it, at the end of last season, it was hinted at that the um, amazing medicine that healed Coulson spoilers <laughs> and yeah. uh, and Sky was made from the genetic um, material of a Cree that was stored in a bunker underground yeah and that was something we talked about earlier between having a Cree in agents of shield and just shield around that is so ready built to create Captain Marvel as a character yeah you know it, which they really should do. I mean, between what they've built already, between Avengers and the Galactic, she would slot in perfectly right. 
with what they're doing. Or, you know, even if, you know, for whatever reason, they don't want to take quite that step. If they want to go with, you know, the Marvel or the Genesis or whatever. You know, Genesis, yeah. Genesis. Peter David's run in the early 2000s. Yeah, and then and then hand it off to a Carol Danvers character. It, that That's fine. Or, or, hey, here's a good place to bring in Rick Jones. <laughs> There's really no good place to bring in Rick Jones. Well, I'm just surprised he's like the one character we haven't really seen yet in, in any of these Marvel things. Because if anybody has an excuse... Um, other than Coulson now, who's been made for the movie purposes to be in any Marvel property at any time, it's Rick Jones. Yeah, I want to see that nameplate on one of the collector's boxes when I frame through that scene. Rick Jones is like the Pamela DeBars of of like the 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 Marvel universe. Seeing he's just going around sucking dicks and taking plaster casts. He had some rough years. He was he was in the music industry. Yeah, all right, that's true. (laughs) He was a little shaky there for a while, but being caught in a gamma blast will do a lot of things to a man. Yeah. Oh, and as a side note, we've seen the Nova Corps. Give me Nova. Yeah. I know Nova is a niche character. Uh, Richard Ryder has been replaced by Sam Alexander, and I, I don't think that book is selling really, really well. It's certainly gone through enough creative teams since it's been there, but God, I love that character. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I, I think that's sort of the other fun takeaway of this movie is you go into it thinking, God, this has the potential to be so silly, and you know, maybe this is where Marvel screws up, but no, it. It not only was just a fun standalone movie on its own, it opens up the possibility to tie into so many other pieces of the overall Marvel um, oeuvre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I want to see Nova. I want to see Ms. Marvel. Um, I mean, I'd like to see Galactus, but that's never going to happen. That's not going to happen. That's all Fantastic Four. Yeah. But, yeah, no. Guardians of the Galaxy wasn't where they screwed up. Ant-Man's going to be where they screwed up. Very possibly. Very possibly. Because I'm not sure how you even tie Ant-Man into this stuff. Does he find an infinity gem? Is it we? Is it tiny? What I've heard out of that is that it's going to be some sort of uh, heist or caper movie. Um, And in that, I think it's probably more likely to tie back to the Earth side of things. Um, You know, you're going to have a a Hank Pym character involved. You're going to have a Van Dyne, even if it's not Janet involved. These are all people who eventually are going to be connected scientifically to the Tony Starks of the world. Um, so it, it will work its way back that way. Yeah. And, and as a move to create a replacement, Tony Stark, since uh, I'm pretty sure Robert Downey Jr. is only signed for Avengers two and three. Yeah. It's probably not a bad idea. My prediction on Ant-Man with everything that's gone in, gone on is that's going to be the phase three, the incredible Hulk. Yeah. We'll do it. And okay, now I've got the character. We're, we're going to use him in other shit. And thank you everybody else who's involved for, for playing, but yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. It's, you know, I went through some of the schedule, and I'm just looking at my notes here. You know, there's going to be a Captain America and Doctor Strange movie right now scheduled for 2016. Mm-hmm. So Doctor Strange is a possible candidate to come across Infinity Gems, unless they decide for Captain America 3 to go full Jack Kirby, Rick Remender sci-fi, which I can't imagine they would do considering the the response that they got to a straight spy thriller that they got with the Winter Soldier. Yeah, it seems more likely that they would keep that, um, at the very least, noir. <laughs> I mean, I suppose Hydra or whoever could have one of the stones, um, you know, the same way uh, that Hydra had the 
cosmic cube slash tesseract. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not outside the realm of possibility in terms of, um, you know, bringing it back to other than to further Loki's ends. And again, there's no good reason for Thanos to want to help him with that. Why was Thanos interested in destroying Earth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And that's not something I had thought of. Just the interest in seizing Earth or, or destroying Earth. Yeah, all right. So there's got to be one on Earth someplace, one would imagine. So, yeah. all right. So that's a possibility. Any of them could come across it. Right. Because the other thing I was thinking is somewhere in there, there's probably going to be a third Thor movie. And just with the science fiction nature of Asgard, that's a gimme for yeah. coming across Thanos. And there's you know, the possibility of a Black Panther movie or some similar property at some point. Yeah. You know, there could be a gem somewhere in Wakanda. Yeah. Or the Kingpin has one on the Netflix TV show or. No. <laughs> yeah, no that, that, that seems unlikely. No. So. But uh, yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite ones, you know, of all the Marvel Studios movies. And, you know, part of it, I don't want to get too much into it. It's, it first thing we talked about in the car after we saw it was, you know, Okay, who would win in a fight? You immediately start thinking <laughs> Star Wars. You immediately go straight back to third grade when it was uh, Star Wars versus Star Trek. You know, who would win in a fight, Chewbacca or Groot? Groot. Uh, yeah, definitely Groot. You know, who who would win, Rocket or Han Solo? Probably Han. But. <laughs> go on. Boom, you're murdered. I mean, it's... <laughs> Yeah, that's one thing I miss from the comic book, because I've been reading the Bendis series since it started about a year and a half ago. And yeah, Rocket had that catchphrase, boom, you're murdered. I really wanted to hear that in the movie. I mean, Han shoots first. However, I guess it comes down to a question of draw speed that I don't have the geek technical knowledge to answer for either Rocket or Han. All I know is that Rocket is cybernetically enhanced um, <laughs> yeah in 1977 han wins because he's drawing under the table and, and shooting yeah um after uh, 1997 or whenever the special edition came out eh, rocket might take him out possibly in, uh, in 2014 rocket wins because han busts a hip going for his gun <laughs> yeah yeah um but it's, i mean that's a kind of it shows how cool a movie it is. In a lot of ways, you go straight back to being seven years old, and these are the dumbass questions. Yeah, that it's just fun to ask because it really, it's it's the Star Wars movie that we haven't had since nineteen eighty three. Yeah, it, yeah, that's that's just it. There was a fun cast of characters with aliens that were believable, which we haven't necessarily had even in later Star Wars movies. Um, so the cast of characters was yay let's look at the these crazy people in this in in the kiln let's <laughs> yeah now david Bautista looked uh his skin had the 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 texture of um some sort of weird engraved leather like one might find on a fine purse <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes um, did. but it worked <laughs> yeah and you, you can't get any more old school sci-fi than green chicks exactly you just don't yeah yeah and and uh Hero captain who's trying to lay into the green chick. I, and can I actually say, you know, we haven't talked about this. I think a character who also got short, short shrift, who did just a bang-up job, Karen Gillan as Nebula. Yes. Yeah. I didn't even recognize it was her until about two-thirds of the way through. Because I knew she was in the movie, and I don't think I've seen her. Is that? Yeah, she was solid and believable as 
ruthless and angry and dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, no, she did a great job in it. I would have I would have loved for there to have been more for her to do. And I also find myself wondering what would have happened if um she had been cast as Gamera instead and if Zoe Saldana had picked up Nebula instead, how that would have worked. Yeah, I'm not sure because again, part of me is thinking uh, Zoe Saldana didn't really have as enough to do in my eyes to of of all of the characters, hers kind of felt diminished compared to everybody. Everybody else was so big and overblown and fun. Yeah, yeah Chris Pratt. Yeah, we haven't really talked about Chris Pratt. Is just a oh my god, the that opening scene. Uh, spoilers, where his mom is dying. And and then shortly after she dies and he realizes he's missed his last opportunity to hold her hand while she was alive and he freaks out and then runs outside and is abducted by aliens. Uh, worst day ever. Yeah, that's a suck for day. young Peter Quill. Yeah. Like <laughs> my mom dies. My world is ripped apart. And then I'm abducted by aliens. Yeah. But, <laughs> but after such an emotional scene. And that wasn't Chris Pratt. That was a younger yeah, actor. Yeah, but that kid killed me. That was yeah. <laughs> the next scene, yeah, he's you know, hunting for this orb on this alien planet, just listening to his tunes and clearly just having a blast being a space pirate. Yeah. And dealing with these little animal threats that are coming <laughs> at him. And yeah, rocket boots. My God, I'd kill somebody to get rocket boots. They're just clearly having a good time and... Doesn't go to his guns a lot. He's just a bullshit artist. Yeah. You know, who talks his way out of stuff. And He was a fun character to watch. Um, and he brought, you know, as goofy and as bombastic as that character could be, he brought a level of nuance to portions of it that humanized the character and made you care about him beyond him being some sort of Han Solo knockoff. Yeah. No, it's, he, he was fun. He was funny. And there was enough heart there when it needed to be. Yeah. You know, yeah, he was he was the Han Solo that was missing from the goddamn prequels that had no character like that for some reason. Right. Right. So. Yeah, he was a scoundrel, but more often than not, he, you know, came through when it mattered. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see where he gets back on the ship and, <laughs> and the, pink ch- the pink chick comes out of the sleeping quarters like, ah, oh, I forgot you were here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, what I, one of Gamera's better lines is, you know, curse your pelvic sorcery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they got my dick message. <laughs> We're giving away all the good lines yeah. with no context here. And, yeah, sorry. Uh, we warned you we'd spoil it, but uh, yeah, it, it, if you have not seen it, go see it. Uh, the, those lines will drop in. Yes. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's playing down the street from us. We went to the big theater to go see it, you know, with a comfortable chair. Which almost knocked me out. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, honestly, I, I would go see it again. Yeah, so eh, maybe we'll head down the street and and see it. But yeah, as soon as I get a a pre date, I'm pre ordering that one so it comes to the door as soon as it's out. Yeah, I, I'm. I'd Which, be interested in watching any of the the director's cut stuff if such a thing exists. Commentary, all all of. I want to know the Easter eggs and the 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 little things, and that's the fun of getting the Blu-ray. <laughs> Yeah, although the the Marvel ones have not necessarily been packed with those. Yeah, but yeah, I'll get it anyway, just to just to have it. Well, Marvel keeps experimenting with other ways to get people involved with getting that content that 
I could give two shits about. Like, I don't want to go online with an AR thing. I don't want to. <laughs> oh, yeah. Didn't they? Didn't you see something where, oh, if you ran Shazam on your phone during during the, the end credits, credits where I've, I've been expressly told by the theater establishment to turn my phone the fuck off. Yeah. Now I'm supposed to turn it on quickly so that yeah. I can oh, <laughs> engage, engage Shazam to get like additional content about the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the theater we went to had a big thing showing that if you point your phone at the screen and try and do anything with it, it's illegal and they'll put yeah. the fucking arm on you. But <laughs> yeah, let me just wave my cell phone at the end credits and uh, <laughs> yeah, just feel myself get sapped across the back of the head by some 14-year-old yeah. security guard at the movie theater. And just put it on the Blu-ray, man. That's why. <laughs> yeah, it just, that's what we're paying for. Yeah. You know, and... Not too many people are paying for it anymore. It's, eh, it'll be on Netflix now. I want to own it. Yeah. So. So yeah, I, I will pre-order that first movie I've pre-ordered since uh, the world's end. So yeah, good job firing Edgar Wright, Marvel. <laughs> Clearly, you have my attention. The other way they get people interested is the comic books. You want to talk about some comic books? Yeah. That's as close to a half decent segue as I even have in me. Rob, would you like to talk about comic books? I think I would. All right. That's a segue and a half. <laughs> We do not do segues at Crisis on Infinite Midlives. You want segues? We're raising the price. Our segues look vaguely like Kermit the Frog and the Muppet Show running across the stage flailing. It's Miss Piggy! Yay! Yeah, that's, that's all we got in us. So we'll segue to, and it's not one we've talked about, but it seems appropriate because I've been reading it and you have not. I have not. So uh, this week was a new issue of Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy 17, yes. uh, written by Brian Michael Bendis. Yep. Uh, this one had two artists. Yep. Uh, first part of the book had art by Nick Bradshaw. Uh, last part of the book uh, by Michael Avon Oming. So this is at the end of an arc that's been ongoing for a while, um, where uh, Quill's father, King Jason of Spartax. So if so, spoilers. If you go to see the movie and they talk about how. His dad uh, went away and should have been coming back for him at some point. And was a real jackass. And was a real jackass. Apparently, yeah. he's <laughs> King Jason of Spartax, um, who has problems with his son because uh, in an earlier arc he made a decree: uh, nobody approaches Earth. Now these are the Guardians of the Galaxy, and Quill is from Earth, so they immediately break that. So now there's been a little skirmish going on between them. A few issues back. Uh, he arranged for everybody to be captured by various different groups. So everybody is split up. Uh, Quill provoked his dad in the middle of the broadcast trial. Um, and his dad started screaming about how he is a tyrannical douchebag, but it's for the good of the people. Um, that always goes over well. Yeah, not remembering that this is being broadcast to the entire planet. <laughs> so while this is going on, uh, Quill is escaping with Captain Marvel. Um Trying to put the team back together while the Spartans are rioting on Spartax, and it's how yeah the team gets put back together. Let's put the band back together. Man, <laughs> we're on a mission from Thanos. I don't know. Who are the space <laughs> gods? Galactus? We're on a mission from Galactus. No, we're not. Yeah. Okay. That's Fox property now. Yeah. So, so yeah, on, on its own merits, uh, this issue, uh, this has been a really good. Series. I'm not sure how well it's selling. I started picking it up because I, I always give anything Bendis does a try, and I've been reading it as it goes along. It's on my polls. It hasn't kind of reached that level of I must have it, but I've been enjoying it and, and grabbing it as it comes out. Um, it, it's as engaging as most of them have been in this series. Um, 
with regards to a Bendis book, there were a couple pages that have his normal kind of bantery dialogue, particularly oh, yeah. in the beginning between Quill and Captain Marvel. There's a little bit between Rocket and Drax when they get uh, recovered at yeah. the end. Um, but there's a lot of action in this book, so it keeps it from being just sort of a Bendis talking head issue. Yeah, I, I, it's true. I have not been reading this book. I, I read this one. Um, it was easy enough to pick up what was going on. It didn't hurt that there was a giant summary <laughs> at the front of the book. Marvel is good about that. The first page of most of their books is, eh, if you're just coming in, here's sort of what has been going on. But I guess, and I suppose I'd have to go back and look at the other issues, you know, if I'm coming to this from the movies and the big cliffhanger for Quill's character in the movie... Well, let's talk about that in a minute. Let's okay. just talk about the book itself to, to right. start with. Go on. Okay. <laughs> um, some of the cool stuff I liked in this, um, there's a transition right after... Uh, Quill and Captain Marvel get his ship back where he's like, oh, I don't know even where to start to try to find everybody. And a transmission comes in from Gamora. Mm -hmm. And I just really like this. Quill is in a panic. It's like, please, God, tell me you're okay. <laughs> and it transitioned to this big double page spread of of Gamora and Angela who have just been on the planet of the Badoon just destroying people for amusement and they've just become bored. And so... Just to to interject for a moment, here's a difference from the movie. If you are coming to this from the movie, there's a character in this book called Angela. Now, if you've read comic books before, you will have known her from Spawn, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, early in Spawn when a uh, Neil Gaiman yeah uh, didn't get didn't ghost write guest wrote sorry yeah. Um, so, so surprise, she's now part of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, yeah, uh, which yeah, if you're if you're the kind of person who is just walking into a comic store, it's a, I like that movie. Give me that comic. You're not gonna have a fucking idea what's going on. Yeah, and if you're listening to this show, you didn't find it by accident. You probably know who Angela is, right? But, it's, but it, in terms of like just to round out that weird cast of characters, you so you've got Peter Quill, uh, you've got Gamora, who is some sort of alien who's been augmented. You've got um, Rocket Raccoon, who's you know, cybernetically and genetically augmented. Uh, Drax the Destroyer, who's just a you know, big blue gork of a smurf. Um, he's, <laughs> he's green. He's always been green. Well, in the movie, he looked distinctly blue with red splotches. All right, th that's <laughs> true. He's green in the comic. You are correct. Um, and then you've got Groot, who's um, you know sentient plant life. Um, and now Angela, who's this sort of celestial being. She's an angel. Yeah. <laughs> She's an angel from the Spawn universe. Yeah. <laughs> Whether that comes across to the Marvel universe, I don't know yet. But. Just kicking ass with Gamora on some planet. Now they're bored. <laughs> yeah, just a couple of weird chicks killing Hanging everybody. <laughs> just stabbing killing everybody. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, there'll be some characters that you need to get used to, and, and Venom is stuck in there someplace. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we don't really see a lot of him in this issue. No. But one of the other things I thought was really cool in this and i don't know if it was on purpose or not but the drax versus gladiator fight now particularly since gladiator was really the first effort marvel did to create a superman pastiche yeah now he's a warrior from another planet with a big triangular uh, logo on his chest but yeah. since he never went to earth he is just arrogant and powered at the level of superman yep so basically we've got bendis showing 
Drax the Destroyer, almost at the level of Superman. Yeah. It's that felt like a bold statement to me of just in case you wander into the comic store, here's a dude who looks a little like Superman and Drax is holding his own. Holding his own. <laughs> Not kicking his ass. Doesn't turn out that way. No. But holding his own. So I just thought that was a neat little and Drax is utter contempt of gladiator. Yeah. <laughs> just clearly did a uh, I forget what he calls him. I'd have to look at the book again, but it was just a cool character beat to show. This this is who you're dealing with. This is what he's... And it's something that would be lost on new readers, probably. You might get a sense of a dude in a red cape with a triangular... No, that was the page. Yeah, what is he? Strontian garbage. Strontian garbage, <laughs> yeah. And then a, a cut to Gladiator looking pissed, and then he's like, Gladiator? It, it, it was just a neat statement for me. It's like, all right. That you're saying this is where Drax lives? All right. Yeah, and I like, you know, these pages have the oming art, um, which I just dig. <laughs> well, and that's a, partially, that's a problem the, that I have. Yeah. It's the middle of the fight where the art changes. Yeah. And I do not like books where they have two artists, particularly since the styles are not really that close. No. Uh, Bradshaw's art is a bit more detailed, certainly not on a hyper-detailed you know, Liefeld 90s style crosshatch, well, but it's, his, his it's more conventional. Be, yeah, conventional, and, and Omings is is very stylized. Yeah, um, it's very much a cartoony Bruce Tim style, big thick lines. But and particularly right in the middle of the fight, Bradshaw, the his fight stuff seemed to be a little more choreographed. It was very clear, this punch happens, and then this kick happens, and then to cut to Oming where it's much more drastic yeah. cuts in between Thum. the action. <laughs> Um, it just, I, I, I'm a fan of both of these guys, the, the sudden cut, particularly right there. It just, it didn't work for me. It's this book, if I'm remembering right, has had some problems getting to press for Ah. various reasons. It's had some delays. So, and once in a while to get the book out, you have to do this kind of thing, but I, I don't like it when publishers do that. Yeah. But I, I just took a little joy because I, I honestly didn't pay attention to who was involved with the book. I just sort of, you said, here, read it. I said, okay, I'll read it. Um, yeah, because I'm just that kind of cock. Um, no, no. And so all of a sudden when the art style changed, I had to go back and look. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it immediately, almost every time it happens in any book, it sort of drags me out of it. Yeah. So I just, I don't like it when that happens. It's I'd, I'd almost rather have the book delayed a couple of weeks. Yeah, but you it's know. not something you could really do. There had to be a new Guardians of the Galaxy book on the stands, even yeah. if it was the end of a storyline with characters and stuff going on that nobody would know. There had to be one this week. You I don't get need that. to give Bendis an excuse to have any of his other books be any later than they already are. Well, particularly his creator own <laughs> ones. That someday there'll be another issue of Brilliant, but someday or, or Scarlet, actually, in particular, <laughs> Jesus. Um, this is not a good book for new readers to get into if you're. Just saw the movie and haven't been following it because, like I said, it's the end of an arc. Uh, new one starts. Uh, I don't know when the new one drops, but it, the new one starts a new arc where they finally talk about what happened with Richard Ryder, mm. the the Nova that I grew up with, who just suddenly disappeared, and then uh, Sam is now, you know, this child is now Nova, and I'm digging that book too. But I want to know what happened with Richard Ryder. Well, as I say, also, you know, before, if you're coming to this from the movie and they leave you with the the cliffhanger in the movie of, you know, when 
Peter Quill's mom in her last dying words is talking about his dad being an angel of light and, you know, calling him her little star Lord. And then he finds out he's actually half alien. Yeah. You know, I'm coming to this. I'm looking at this dude looks normal. Um, doesn't seem to be particularly, um, any different from a human. So what's so special about his dad that he can be this great emperor and pass on genetic material that would allow him, allow his son to be able to, hold as long as he did an infinity gem without exploding well marvel has a long history of humanoid looking aliens yeah you know the star lord thing it's like every other fucking royalty he's he's the son of the king he's the prince yeah (laughs) so that i didn't have a problem with i don't think anybody would be particularly confused by well no but like i'm coming away from this you know having not read this comic book and the mom, you, know, you tell me that somebody is an angel of light and could have passed along like genetic material, you know, unless she was tripping on like MDMA at a rave when she met <laughs> Jason. Well, the, the kid would have been born in the late seventies. So I think it's more just straight Peruvian flake cocaine, but possibly LSD. There you go. <laughs> the PCP. No, Yeah, probably not. Um, but you know that 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 sets up a certain level of expectation for the level of alien that his dad would have to be. You would think, um, and then you see you know humanoid looking dude. Yeah. Now whether the movies decide to cash in on that and deviate that much from the comics, it's very possible. We've certainly seen some deviations in Marvel movies from from the original source material, and as long as the movies are done well, it's an adaptation. I don't care. Right. But yeah, you've got a point. So, I mean, what other things? It's having come straight from the movie and read this. Is there anything that confused you? Would this make you no. want to read more of it? No. If anything, it was like, oh, look, they've clearly been together at this point. They seem that much tighter as a unit. Um, you know, the the relationships appear to be progressing. I yeah, I just had more questions, like specifically because this was a dad centric. <laughs> arc you're like all right, all right that's the big question they left at the end of the movie and now i see this <laughs> yeah well, it sort of potentially gives up the ghost depending on how they want to go with you know go with it in the movie yeah at, at this point we got a couple of years before we're going to find out right although i saw on twitter today i've been following james gunn for a long time apparently he's already started putting stuff together it's not official pre-production but he's working story all right good so all right we're at an hour and a half you want to talk briefly about yeah just you know, on the other end of things, in terms of creator-owned, out of image, the uh, final book for Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, Fatal, dropped last week. Yeah, issue 24. And, yeah, that was, I'm going to miss this book. All good things have to come to an end. I'm looking forward to going back and looking at this as a, a whole body of work, I think, in the trades at this point, just to get the whole scope all at once. Well, and and that's one thing I was thinking, because... Yeah, we've been reading this uh, all along. Yeah, and I went back as I've been, as I've been saying for weeks, trying to get my collection in order and and get this room cleared out to turn it into a proper studio. Yeah, uh, I reread issues twenty two and twenty three, so I'm, you know, was refreshed in memory of at least the last few things, and there were uh, the f- the story that's been going on, and there were still parts where it's like uh, there's stuff I know I'm not remembering. Yeah, and it's weird because. Brubaker and Phillips stuff, I like getting the individual issues because they've got great back matter in most of them. 
like the Jess Nevins uh, essays on yeah. pulp and H.P. Lovecraft and Penny Dreadfuls, and there's really cool stuff in them. But they really do work better as trades where you can just sit down and go through it and yeah. move back a little bit, and there's no, oh, i got to hunt that issue up. And they really work better as volumes. So, yeah, it's, uh, I read this, and I'm like, this is satisfying, but I know there's stuff I'm not remembering. Yeah, that's why, I was, I, like I said, I'm looking forward to going back and, and rereading the whole thing as a, a collection of trade paperbacks now that this is concluded. I, you know, he did, Brubaker did an excellent job of walking the line between creepy Lovecraftian horror and just engaging consistently in that um, femme fatale, you know, noir. Gritty pulp noir. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Sean Phillips' art continues to be consistent in supporting that vision and telling the story, you know, in, in a straightforward fashion um, where necessary and with, you know, good splash pages that have spectacle also where necessary. Um, this book, I, I don't think there's ever been anything like it. I don't know that there, I don't think anybody could do anything that would imitate it properly nor should they <laughs> yeah and it's you know brew breakers as far as i recall and i could be misremembering really first foray into horror yeah yeah and getting the lovecraftian stuff down <laughs> right down to the coy at spoilers at the end oh and then here are the elder gods and we can't see them and uh and nick is driven mad right so yeah he got the big beats of this kind of horror down Yep. Um, yeah, Nick uh, legitimately goes into the mouth of madness and is, is saved by the love of a woman, except is he really? Because now he gets to live with what he's seen. Yeah, and, and using Joe's seduction power as a way to trick the bishop and you know make him unworthy of his task and therefore able to fall to the Elder Gods was yep. totally in character, fit with everything that's been happening with the book. So it was, it was a satisfying ending. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I'm sitting here going, I know there's stuff I'm not remembering. There's stuff that I read a year ago that at this point, yeah, I'd have to go down the street to the storage locker and dig through long boxes. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think also part of the problem, and I don't think this story was overextended, but I think part of it was based on, this was meant to be a much shorter story. Yeah. Um, It was originally going to be a set miniseries, and I forget how many issues it was. I think he said he wanted to do like two or three trades. Mm. So we're talking maybe... 15 or 16 issues and he was having so much fun with it he just kept adding stuff in so there were parts in the middle it doesn't have anything to do with this particular issue but you know where there were time jumps like in particular yeah. the the 90s band you know oh, yeah. where they they did a video and killed a dude it's like okay this is interesting but i want to get back to nick and uncle dominic and the manuscript and i want right. to see where this is going it was great character stuff for joe and a good slice of time for I'm Generation X. Yeah, talk to me about the early 90s. Yeah. <laughs> but it's that expansion, I think, made it a little easier for me to sort of lose track of the main thread to the point where I'm reading this. And it's like, eh, I really got to go back from the beginning. Right. It's good enough where it's, I really want to go back to the beginning. But it, yeah, it's it's one of those things. It, it's great to get the individual issues. But a lot of these things like Criminal and Sleeper really kind of work better yeah here's a big hard here's a big hard cover of the whole thing right read it <laughs> um and he you know he teases his upcoming uh new project which is going to be based in the world of of hollywood and uh film writing but also with that same noir sensibility yeah what is it the big lie ah uh, i'm getting to it 
The Fade Out. The Fade Out. Okay. Which is coming out this August. Well, hey, we're in August. So sometime this month. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that. It, yeah, all of the arcs these guys have done. We've we've got Sleeper and Criminal and... Yeah, Incognito. Well, Incognito uh, wasn't Phillips, I don't think. No, but that was a Brubaker. Yeah. Yeah, and Brubaker with a, a Velvet right now with mm-hmm. uh, uh, Steve Epting. Yep. Yeah, that's an awesome book. Yeah, these creator-owned, more pulpy kind of things as opposed to just straight superhero. I love all of them. It just means... It's going to be another 30 issues I have in long boxes and another pile of trade yeah. paperbacks on the shelf. <laughs> That's okay. Such is the cost of being a comic <laughs> book fan. You pay for storage, and I'm constantly looking for corners. Can I fit a one-foot by one-foot bookshelf over there <laughs> behind the door? Maybe I can hang things from the ceiling. Yeah. it's <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we're up over an hour and a half. So... Okay. So why don't we just stick a pin in this one? Okay. So... Yeah. Um, oh, uh, yes. Where are we? How can people find stuff? Well, we <laughs> our, have our website. Our website, which is uh, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. Uh, you can find us on Gmail, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we are on Twitter at, I always forget. At Infinite Midlife. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you can find us on iTunes. If you found this on iTunes, do us a favor. Throw us a rating. Give us a review. We're clearly... We say this every week. We're making this up as we go. We would love to hear your feedback. We lock ourselves in a room with several beers and a few microphones and just sort of do what yeah. what feels right. So, <laughs> yeah, we'd like to get some feedback. If there's something you like, something you don't like, yeah, we'd at least like to hear it. Yeah. Um, and this is our going to be our first episode. I don't know if I can get it up tonight, but we'll be uh, at least up tomorrow uh, on the Comics Podcast Network, which is uh, we're actually kind of psyched about because, yeah, they've got a list of yeah, a, a ton of, yeah, it's just comics-related podcasts. And We're happy to become a part of that. Yeah, so, and we will have a link uh, up to their main site, because I've found a few that I like, um, you know, listening to at the day job or as I'm bagging and boarding books, um, you know, it's some of them that are really fun to listen to, so we're psyched to be a part of that. So we'll we'll have a link up to that on the homepage coming up. But, yes, it's late. <laughs> that third beer, it, it's gone. It's time to get some more. I need to go uh, find some scotch and get ready for our evening's television entertainment. So, <laughs> Yes, what, what do we have tonight? The Strain. Oh, yes, The Strain and True Blood. <laughs> True Blood. Mostly I'm excited for The Strain. <laughs> yes. So, all right, so let's wrap this up. This is uh, the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show, episode 28. Yes. Thank you for listening. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. And uh, thanks for listening. And Derp. At least there might be boobs on True Blood. Sure.